It is a joy for me to be here today. I, uh, I get the opportunity. I'm actually, so, so I came here to preach, but then actually uh, Pastor Michael is going over to ABC Alliance Bible Church here in Bartlett uh, to preach today. So we kind of swapped places for today, which is a, a little bit of fun. Um, so today, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about the reality of discouragement. But in order to talk about that, we have to, we have to discuss something else first. Uh, I want to discuss with you the idea of a vision for your life. How many of you in this room at some point in your life had a vision for your life? Had a vision for what you want? Yeah, we got, we got some hands raising in there. That's good. We got some ideas of, of what it was that we wanted to become, what we wanted to be, right? I want to tell you what this process looked like for me. Uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, so I'm almost 30 now, when I was in my early 20s, I used to listen to different preachers, Bible teachers, speakers all the time on like podcasts and stuff like that. And I, would, I, I really enjoyed listening to these guys. And as I would listen to them, I, I started to ask the question, I started to wonder, you know, these guys, they're, they're able to lead and disciple through speaking gifts, through the ability to teach and speak and preach. And so, um, so I began to wonder, you know, could I, like, Lord, maybe could I be able to do that? Could I do that? Like, could you use me in some way to, to develop those skills? And about the time I started asking myself that question, then uh, some leaders came alongside me, and what they did was they encouraged me. They actually said, you know what, you should pursue developing this skill. So it wasn't just that I was asking the question, but at the same time, some other people came and said, you know, you should, you should use that gift. You should develop that gift. And so as I started to look at that, I, I, I started looking at the Lord and, and asking the question, okay, Lord, you know, I'll, you know, whatever you want from me, I'll, I'll kind of submit myself to that, right? So the Lord's like, Alex, if you let me use you, if you let me use your gifts, if you are, if you are simply faithful, then yes, you could. You could lead and, and disciple through teaching and, and, and preaching and that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, all right, that's, that's, that sounds good. So that's like one piece of what the Lord used to actually uh, bring me a calling into pastoral ministry, right? That's part of what that looked like. That teaching and preaching was one piece of that. And, and so the Lord kind combined all of these things and, and set this vision in front of me and said, hey, you can, you know, there's a, a potential future where if you're faithful, you could, you could lead and disciple people through, through your gifts. And so uh, I wonder if you've maybe had a similar experience where the Lord caused you to look at like what you had, your gifts, your abilities, your skills, and says, hey, like if you're faithful with this, I can actually use this to influence, right? So the Lord says something like this. He says, uh, you know what, that thing, whatever you're looking at, you could do that. You could become that. You know, you have the skills, you have the passion, you have the insight, and guess what? I've given you the gift. So it's my gift in the first place, and you actually, you could do this thing. You could, you could meet this vision, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there's not development to be done. You know, there's a process that the Lord has to build those skills, right? We understand that. But, but there's a future where you could become that person. And so maybe, maybe, you, uh, maybe your vision is you want to be a writer someday. And you want to influence people through, through the written word. You want to be able to, to uh, maybe find a niche where you can, you can fit in and you can write something that's really impactful or powerful. Maybe, maybe you're like a systems person. You're a strategist, right? You walk into a place and instantly you see like 15 things that could work better. And so the Lord's given you that gift. You, you need to find an opportunity to use that faithfully, right? Maybe, maybe you want to be a mentor or a counselor. 
Maybe somebody invested in you and, and took the time to actually speak into your life and you actually, you have a vision for your life where you want to spend a lot of your time just speaking into people's lives, investing in them, listening to them, understanding them. Maybe your, your future vision is just being a leader. Like moving people from one point to another on the, on the spectrum of mission, right? So, so you can see this potential future where you would, you would be a leader. Now, whatever that vision is, you could have a completely different vision from what I named, but whatever it is, I want you to imagine something for me. Imagine you use your gifts faithfully, and then the Lord doesn't give you the influence that you expected for one year. So one year, you, you use your gifts, you do your thing, and, and the Lord doesn't give you the influence you expected. Are you going to still be faithful? Well, probably, it takes time to develop that, right? So, so what about two years? Two years, you go and you use those gifts, you pour yourself out. Are you going to be faithful after two years if you don't get it? How about five, maybe, or even ten years? Ten years, you use your gifts in the same vein, and the Lord doesn't give you the influence you're expected. How about 35 years? You never get the level of influence that you thought you should with that gift. You never get that expectation. You know, what if it's even the whole time, you start at the beginning and it's the same level of influence all the way through, never increasing. What, what if actually you start at one level of influence and then the whole way through, you're faithful with your gift, you're using your gift, you actually have the gift, and you actually decrease in your level of influence? Are you still going to be faithful with that gift? What's that experience going to be like? What's it going to stir up inside of you? You know, I want to talk about the idea because what we're talking about is ministry discouragement. And this is an experience that occurs when one of two things happens. Uh, First of all, you're called to use your gifts in a way that does not meet your expectations. So there's a place for your gifts to be used, right? But but that place, it, it doesn't fit your, kind of, your checklist, right? The things, the expectations that you have. And so, so you're discouraged that you can't use your gifts in a place that does fit your checklist. The second thing that creates ministry discouragement is when the faithful use of your gifts actually leads you into unmet expectations, actually takes you kind of in your mind a, a direction that is downward, that is unhelpful, Right? So, so these two things happen, and they have the reality to create discouragement inside of us. So today what we're going to do is we're actually continuing the story of Joseph. We're going to look at his life, and we're going to see a situation where Joseph could have easily let ministry discouragement overcome him, but instead he overcame it, uh, and he actually uh, proved to be fruitful by overcoming it. So open your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Genesis 41. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be looking at this story of Joseph, and uh, before we do anything else, we're actually going to look at the end of the story. Now, I, so this is a little bit of a spoiler alert. We are going to find out how the story ends, and because I'm a guest preacher, you can't just leave when I give you the ending, okay? So you have to stay with me. You have to be hospitable, right? You have a moral obligation to stay in the room uh, so, that, so that we can continue and talk through this. So here's, how, here's basically how the story ends. This is what it says in verse 39. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. I have set you over all the land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. Remember, the signet ring is a, a full conveying of authority. So whoever wears the signet ring of Pharaoh has all the authority of Pharaoh and put it on Joseph's hand. Then Pharaoh says to Joseph, without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Do you hear the influence that Joseph gets there? Do you hear the, uh, the amount of authority that he has just been given by Pharaoh? Okay, so my question is, how did we get here? Because if you were with us last week, you know, we didn't read an ending that looked anything like this. The ending was nothing like this, right? So how do we get here? Well, I just wanna, I wanna run through Joseph's story real quick. Okay, God gives his dad a dream And Joseph has a gift. He has a gift to interpret dreams, right? So he uses that gift. And when he uses that gift, it says that uh, that he's he's gonna be in charge of his brothers, right? And so his dad puts him in charge of his brothers. Now, what we're looking at here is a second gift, a gift of strategic leadership. And that comes up again and again and again, we will see. His two gifts and two callings. He has the gift of using the, the, the interpretation of dreams, the gift of being a strategic leader. And he uses those gifts, and then uh, what happens is that his brothers throw him in a hole. Okay, so that's good. But then not only that, they sell him into slavery after that. Okay, so that's uh, maybe not quite the expectation that he had. Uh, so then he goes, uh, goes further, he gets into slavery, and while he's in slavery, guess what? He uses his gifts. He's uh, in Potiphar's house, and it says that Potiphar like, actually made him the manager of his household, of everything that he had. Potiphar kind of put him in charge. Well, then this thing happened, and and, and Potiphar's wife was a little too interested in Joseph, and then uh, she lied uh, to Potiphar about what Joseph tried to do, and so then Joseph gets thrown in prison. So he uses his gifts, and then he gets thrown in prison. And then he's in prison, and like, he uses his gifts again, right? He he is actually placed in leadership over the prisoners. He's he's the leader of all the prisoners when he's there, and not only that, but then like the cupbearer and the baker, they come down, they get thrown into prison, and then they have these, these dreams that they don't know what to do with, and guess what? Joseph uses his gift, his gift of dream interpretation to kinda help explain to these guys what's going on. And then, you know, Joseph says to the cupbearer, remember me, but then the cupbearer forgot. And then think all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning of this story, what would Joseph's expectations have been? Do you think they would have looked anything like the story he's come through so far? Like nothing, nothing at all like where he's come. But these would have been, like his, his expectations, they would have been justifiable, right? Like he was given a vision by God, he was given a promise by God, like God spoke it, but he ended up in this situation. None of his expectations get met, but he keeps using his gifts and using his gifts, and using his gifts. And then the conclusion that we have up here, this conclusion, this was not the only potential outcome. I want you to understand that. Like, Joseph, at, at any point, if he, if he gets overcome by discouragement, if at any point he gives in to the, the reality of unmet expectations, like, imagine him giving in. He says, you know what? Not only am I not getting more influence, but, but actually every time I use my gifts, I'm, I end up further away from my family, which is you know, who God told me I would have influence over. I end up in a situation where I actually have decreasing levels of influence, where you know, I, was, I was over my brothers and all of my father's house, and then I kind of decreased, and, and then I decreased again, and now I'm like in charge of prisoners, right? 
And then it says after some time. Like during some time, which, which whenever Hebrew scripture says some time, it means it was a long time, right? So an annoyingly, unbearably long period of time, he is stuck in prison. And so if he lets ministry discouragement, lets unmet expectations define him and determine how he's going to use his gifts at any point along this journey, he misses this outcome. He misses this outcome. And on top of that, check out how the beginning of chapter 41 starts. It says, after two whole years. So, so the cupbearer, he says, cupbearer, remember me. Remember me, only remember me when you go before Pharaoh. Make sure that you remember me. Don't forget. And then immediately it says, the cupbearer forgot about Joseph for two years. Are you serious? Like, somebody tells you exactly what your dream means, and then it it comes true, and you forget about the guy who told you? Well, let's look at the story. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, how is Joseph, how can anyone overcome this level of discouragement, this level of unmet expectations? So in verse one, it says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed. And, and, and then he dreamed a second time in verse five. And so in verse eight, it says, so in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none who could interpret them. So, so Pharaoh has significant dreams in the ancient Near East. If there are certain kinds of dreams that you have that they, they kind of have markers that tell you, hey, these you need to pay attention to. These are really serious. And so Pharaoh understands that. He understands that these dreams that he's having, they actually carry a lot of weight. And so he's trying to pay attention to that. Because what this means is that like the gods, the quote gods, right, they deliver dreams at only critical moments. Only critical moments, which means that Pharaoh is actually desperately in need of an answer, but he can't understand this dream. And so verse nine says this. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. Like that's gotta be the understatement of the century, right? I remember my, like this amazing thing happened and you forgot, are you serious? But this guy, he says, oh, I forgot, but, but I remember now. And then in verse 10, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, he explains what happened. And put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When, he told, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us. He used his gift, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. So he used his gift, and his gift worked. It, it proved fruitful. It, I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Okay, so this guy who had the responsibility to remember Joseph, Joseph says, remember me, he forgets, but he finally remembers, and this is what he says. The guy has a gift. He has an ability. He has a skill that can be used here. Hey, Pharaoh, you should utilize him. So then in 14, it says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. So now Joseph has a decision to make. Will he continue being faithful with the use of his gifts or will he give in to discouragement? Right, that's the decision that he is 
faced with. So I want to uh, uh, give you a principle. I want to provide a principle this morning. The point where giftedness and opportunity converge is the responsibility for faithfulness. So when giftedness and opportunity meet each other, that is where you have the responsibility to be faithful. Right? Okay, so let's, let's talk about this. So some of you are, are gifted conversationalists, and I'm going to tell you about all sorts of opportunities today, so get ready. Uh, some of you are gifted conversationalists, and guess what? There's, a, there's like a really good place for gifted conversationalists in this church, like in our hospitality ministry. We could really use some gifted conversationalists there. Some of you are really, really, really detail-oriented, right? Like you care a lot about details, and you invest to make sure that all the details are taken care of, and you know what? I'm sure our production team could use some really, really, really detail-oriented people, right? So there's an opportunity there. Uh, Teachers, if you have the ability to teach, gosh, I I got an opportunity to tell you about. Our kids' ministry could probably really use some teachers. Like if I could guess, I would say the kids' ministry really needs some gifted teachers, some people who have that ability. If you have the gift of compassion, we have a share, there's a share of the care ministry here at Village Church. There's a place where you can invest with that gift. Maybe you want to mentor somebody. You know what? Like I'm sure Tammy would be willing to have a conversation with somebody like that, or Matt Souls, our student pastor, would be able to talk to you about mentoring. If that's something that you can see in your future, if those are your gifts, man, there's a place to exercise the opportunity. You could talk talk to those leaders, but, but what I want to talk about is maybe why you haven't stepped up yet. Maybe why you choose to avoid stepping up. Because maybe that opportunity, whatever it is, and I don't know, I don't know what the ideal opportunity is, but maybe for some reason it represents unmet expectations for you. So, so maybe uh, you're coming from another church and, and when you served at your last church, you got burned. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe you want to serve on the production team, but the production team has to be here a little too early on Sunday mornings, and you, can't, you just can't get up that early, right? So unmet expectation. Maybe you're thinking, you know, okay, yeah, I could go to kids' ministry, but I kind of feel like kids' ministry is below my skill level, right? Watch out for that one. It's an unmet expectation, though. Maybe, uh, maybe the last time you exercised compassion for somebody, they used you right? All sorts of unmet expectations. And I can't name all of them. Like we would spend a long time if I went through all the possible unmet expectations that each person in this room might experience. But the question that we all have to answer is, are we going to let our unmet expectations define us and determine our level of faithfulness? Because Joseph, he is a host a host of unmet expectations. In fact, ours probably can't even come close to comparing with his. Yet he's able to overcome those realities and take yet another step of faithfulness. And we see that in verse 16. So Pharaoh explains that he wants his dream interpreted and watch how Joseph responds. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So do you see his mindset here? Like, he's even acknowledging, you know, the gift isn't even mine. It's God's gift. He's the one who's doing it anyway. So, okay, yeah, sure. I'll listen. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to your dream. I'll interpret for you. He decides that he's going to be faithful. And so then in verse 17, Pharaoh explains his dream to Joseph. And we're going to run through the dreams that he had. 
Verse 17, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. Okay, so then he wakes up and then he has a second dream. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered and thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears and I told it to the magicians. But there was no one who could explain it to me. So understanding part of the role of magicians in the Egyptian culture, they were defenders of the Egyptian faith, this polytheistic faith. So when it came to to coming against gods uh, of other nations, the magicians were the ones who had the responsibility to show that their gods were stronger and more able than the gods of other nations. So when it comes to this situation, this, this interpretation of the dream, the magicians, they have nothing. They can't tell Pharaoh anything. And so Joseph has a really unique opportunity, not just to use his gifts, but actually to show how strong God actually is through the use of his gifts. And so watch what he does with this interpretation. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. So the two dreams, they mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh. So guess what, Pharaoh? God gave you the dream. He's the one who showed you these things. And he's told you what he is about to do. And then in verse 28, he he reiterates it, right? It says, it is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will be seven years of famine. Pharaoh, this is what your dream means and it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So, so what this is saying is Pharaoh, the, the dream happened twice. It means that God's, he's in charge of this situation and he's gonna decide to start the timeline like really soon. So you gotta be prepared. So, so he doesn't just use his gift here, but he takes the opportunity. Okay, I'm gonna show the Egyptians who the God of the Hebrews actually is. I'm gonna show them who he is, who has our back, who is able to understand these things about dreams, who is able to give gifts. And after all of his unmet expectations, we see weaved throughout his interpretation that he is absolutely grounded in the faithfulness of God. He has not wavered one inch from how faithful God is and how powerful God is and what he is able to do. So my question is, what's going on inside of Joseph that he still, with with all of these expectations, all of these unmet expectations, that he is still incredibly faithful to the point where uh, where opportunity and gifting, they're converging and and he comes after being in prison and still decides that he's gonna be faithful. So, So let's... Let's walk through because I think there are things that convinced him of God's faithfulness. So when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, when he got sold into slavery, Genesis 39.2 says that the Lord was with him, right? 
The Lord was present with him in the midst of his slavery. And then in verse 39.5, it actually says that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. So he actually was blessing. Wherever Joseph goes, God is just like blessing that place. And then in 39.23, again, it says he gets thrown into prison, right? And there's this reminder that the Lord was with him in prison and made him successful while he was there. And then after that some time, that annoyingly long period of time, in, verse, in chapter 40, verse 8, it says that Joseph, he, he actually acknowledges, he has an opportunity to give an interpretation to the cupbearer and the baker, and this is what he says. He says, this interpretation is from God. It's from God. So all the way, the, the whole way, the text keeps pointing out to us, it keeps reminding us that in every unmet expectation, God was at Joseph's side. He never left him, he stuck by him, and Joseph knew it. He was absolutely convinced of it. So, so God being with him actually grounded Joseph. God being with him kept him pure when Potiphar's wife pursued him. God being with him kept him from seeking self-promotion. God being with him blessed him with positions of authority. Even in prison, even when he was thrown, he was still blessed with a position of authority. And every step of the way, he is utterly assured and convinced that God is faithful and he will not waver from that. So how did Joseph overcome the potential for ministry discouragement? I also ask the question, how can we overcome that potential? Even when facing unmet expectations, cling to God's faithfulness. Even when facing unmet expectations, cling to God's faithfulness. So, so even when uh, your faithfulness might mean sacrificing a couple of extra hours of sleep, I don't know. You know what? God is incredibly faithful to you. So, so be faithful to him. Keep using your gifts. You know, even when that, that ministry role doesn't give you the level of influence that, that you want or, or think you need, you know what? God is incredibly faithful to you. Go ahead and use your gifts. You know, even though you were burned by someone last time, you know what? God, God's still incredibly faithful to you. Keep using your gifts. Yeah, even, oh guys, buckle in for this one. Even when VBS feels chaotic and overwhelming and maybe, uh, maybe we just get a little bit exhausted by that and it's hard, you know what? God is really, really faithful to you. Keep using your gifts. Keep on going. You know, if you're letting unmet expectations keep you from using your God-given gifts in the midst of a God-given opportunity, then I would wager that you're somehow missing God's faithfulness in a major way. You know, God's far less interested in meeting your expectations than he is in seeing you faithfully respond to his faithfulness. And that's why I love this picture of Joseph. You remember, okay, so we have that gift of dream interpretation, but then, but then we also have that gift of strategic leadership, right? I want you to watch, he actually applies that gift. So he uses both gifts as he uh, provides his interpretation to Pharaoh. Watch how he applies his gift in verse 33. He says, now therefore, okay, so his interpretation is done and now he's explaining to Pharaoh what he needs to do. He says, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. 
Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers. Okay, so these overseers, they were gonna have a job. They were to save one-fifth of the surplus during each of the years of plenty so that when the famine came around, uh, Egypt would have plenty of food stored up that they would be able to be taken care of in the midst of the famine. And so this is not just his interpretation gift at play, but he is looking, he is looking at what could happen and he's just giving Pharaoh some wise strategic advice on what to do. And so he applies all of this God-given wisdom that he has, that he got by the way when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, when he was leading the prisoners, when he was in charge of the prisoners. He gets all of these skills and gifts and he applies them right here. And he's just faithful. He's consistent. And, And his consistency and his faithfulness is bearing fruit. Okay, so check out what Pharaoh says. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Okay, so this pagan polytheistic leader of this massive, most powerful country in the entire known world, this is what he says. He says, you know what? The spirit of the Hebrew God is inside of Joseph and gave me the information that nobody else could give me. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, your Hebrew God, this God that you follow, has shown you all of this and there is none so discerning and wise as you are. And here's all the promises. You shall be over my house. All my people shall order themselves as you command. I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring and put it on Joseph's hands. It says, without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all of Egypt. So can we be real for a second? One night he's a prisoner. Let's go all the way back to the beginning though. Like the the, the dream he was given was that he was gonna be in charge of his family. So let's even go to that expectation. He never imagined this. Joseph never saw this outcome. I promise you that he could not even fathom in his mind what God was possibly going to do because what has now happened is that Joseph functionally has all the authority of Pharaoh who is the king of the most powerful country in the world. He is able to, one night he's a prisoner and literally because he was faithful with his gifts, the next day he is in charge of the most powerful country in the whole world. If you read further, you actually see uh, Joseph, because he was faithful with his gifts, because he actually carried out the interpretation that he gave Pharaoh, what it does is it actually gives Egypt a lot of influence with all of the nations around them because all of these nations, they start coming to Egypt to get uh, the food that they need when the famine hits, right? So then Joseph has all of this influence and verse 57 points this out for us. It says, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain. Everybody in the world is coming to Joseph to be provided for, right? Because the famine was severe over all the earth. You know, Joseph was an overcomer. He didn't let his unmet expectations define him. He didn't let his unmet expectations determine whether or not he was going to be faithful. He simply clung to God's faithfulness. Um... There's a point in the middle of the story where we get a really beautiful picture of of just Joseph's mindset. Um, In the midst of all the potential unmet expectations, we see a glimpse of this when he gets married in Egypt and he has kids. In verse 50, it says this, before the year of the famine came, 
Two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. In verse 52, he named the second, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Manasseh means causing to forget, and Ephraim means fruitful. And in both of those places, Joseph is looking at his situation and he's acknowledging the unmet expectations. But what he is saying is that God has been faithful through all of it. God has been good through all of it. Okay, so what? I got two. First, what if I never get the influence that I dreamed I would? What if I never get the influence that I dreamed I would? You know what? That it's possible that that dream may not have been from the Lord because a calling and a gift is not equated with an outcome, right? So, so when the Lord told me about my gift way back at the beginning, he started calling me into ministry and I'm listening to these preachers who have a ton of influence, right? He's not telling me, hey, you're going to have the same influence that they are and I would be foolish to think and be motivated by that, right? He's just simply saying there's a gift and a calling here. And so a gift and a calling is not necessarily equated with an outcome. You still have the responsibility to be faithful. When giftedness giftedness and opportunity, when they converge, you still have the responsibility to be faithful, even when your expectations are met. Even if you never get that thing that you dreamed your gifts would get you, you need to stop looking at that and look simply at how faithful the Lord is. Number two, invite, this is hard for some of us, but we need to invite the unmet expectations. So can we be real? Like sometimes our expectations stink. They're just not good. They're not nearly what God wants for us. And so uh, if, if we're even, even further honest about this situation, uh, they're probably a symptom of arrogance, Right? So, so what we need to do then, like imagine, just imagine with me for a second. If God calls you to preach somewhere, but, but your first sermon, the first sermon that you preach is gonna land you in jail for 20 years, will you be faithful? What if God calls you to be a leader, but in being a leader, you're only given influence over five people in your entire life? Will you be faithful? What if God tells you to share the gospel with a hundred people and all 100 of those people will respond to you with ridicule and slander? Will you be faithful? What if God, what if God calls you to do some sort of role that is going to be invisible, that no one's ever going to notice, nobody's ever going to appreciate, nobody's ever going to thank you for, will you carry out the role and be faithful? You know, if I could be honest with you all, this sermon is not just for you. This sermon's for me too. I've had a host. I could, I could probably go through since that time I was 20 years old. And what I'm just like, like why do I need more expectations, right? But, but uh, I, all along the way, I found myself, when I, I would take my eyes off of God's, God's faithfulness, I found myself being frustrated that I'm not getting my expectations met. 
found myself being discontented with what God has given me because I think I should have more influence or I think I should have more responsibility. So, so this is not just something that you need to overcome. This is something that we all need to overcome. You know, God, he, he doesn't waste any of these experiences. He uses them, just like he used Joseph, even in the prison, even when he's leading in the prison, he gave him gifts there that developed him into the kind of interpreter and the kind of understanding wise person that that Pharaoh would put over his whole kingdom. He uses it all to bring about his purposes. You know, one day Joseph is a leader of prisoners and the next day he's a leader of a nation. And so what's God doing? God's telling the whole time with all of the unmet expectations, he's telling the story according to his perspective. So I heard this uh, pastor say this one time, and maybe you've heard it before too. Uh, If you knew what God knew, you would do what God does every time. Amen? Would you pray with me, please? Father, I, uh, I pray more than anything that you would stir up our hearts to embrace your faithfulness constantly. I feel like too often we can get our eyes on things that are only self-serving. But Lord, you are calling us to something greater. You are calling us to rest in, to cling to, to be convinced of how faithful you are. So Lord, as we transition into communion, I ask that you would make your faithfulness really clear to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So you know what's amazing is that like, we actually have an even better picture of God's faithfulness than Joseph did. Like Joseph had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like he had those stories with him, but we get the most amazing picture of God's faithfulness ever. Because this is what he did. This is how faithful he was to us. Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh, he came down to earth. He came here to bear the full weight of God's wrath towards our unfaithfulness, towards those times when we give in to the unmet expectations. And so he went to the cross, he endured physical pain, he endured God's punishment towards sin, he endured emotional torment, and then he died so that we might have the chance to be forgiven. So that all of our unfaithfulness could actually be washed away and we could stand before God as clean and pure and righteous. So in a moment, this is what's gonna happen. The ushers, they're gonna pass out the elements of communion to us. And what we have in there is a cracker and some juice, bread and juice, and what those things represent to us They represent Jesus' broken body and Jesus' shed blood that we might have forgiveness of sins. And so we're gonna partake of these elements together. Now, as the plates pass, uh, you can take the elements out and then uh, after you take the elements, you'll stand with us and we'll sing a song together and worship. Now, when we take these elements, we do this as a proclamation of our faith in Jesus. And so if you're in here this morning and you don't have faith in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, we're really happy that you're here, but we'd ask that you simply let the plates pass by. Nobody's gonna look at you. Nobody's gonna judge you for doing that. Simply let the plates pass by because this act 
It's together a proclamation that we are people who are forgiven by Jesus. So before we pass the plates, we're going to take a moment of silence together. And I ask you to reflect. Reflect first and foremost on Jesus' faithfulness to you. But, but you know, maybe there's a place in your life where he's calling you to a level of faithfulness. That place where opportunity and giftedness are, 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 are meeting up. So I'd encourage you to reflect on that and maybe even think, Jesus, how, how am I going to rely on your faithfulness to walk into this step of my own faithfulness? Would you reflect with me, please? <laughs>